Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode here with your host, The D is Silent. Um, let's talk about the concert I went to the other day and how good it was. Uh, so I went to the House of Blues, Anaheim, California, last Saturday, about six days removed from him now. Um, I went to go see Dying Wish, Body Snatcher, Bleeding Through, and Hate Breed. Um... Phenomenal show, stacked lineup. The lineup was insane. Uh, Dying Wish, them Dying Wishers are uh, a good band. Very heavy, very kind of remind me of like a very, very young uh, Walls of Jericho, but kind of in the vein of Haybreed as well that kind of flavor to the mix uh, very good mix a uh, little different there is some singing parts in Dying Wish which would be uh, for me it's okay because they started off like that I hate when bands are heavy and then they try to add the clean vokes um, later on in their dis- discography and it's like uh, you didn't. You didn't make your fame off that. You should have started with some a little bit of clean vokes, but with the with the complete bite and a trot and you know the venom. And you should, you know, you should start that way if that's what you're ultimately thinking. Um, but dying wish is amazing. Uh, I've seen them now three times. And each time they get a little bit better, I kind of feel as if the trajectory for that band is going up. If they stay the course and they get on a few more tours, you know, it build up their build up their uh, their presence. Uh, I feel like they're an upwards trajectory. Uh, probably another album before their headlining tours. Um, but they put Dying Wish, they're everywhere, man. That band takes no breaks. Uh, that's how they just live for the road. And I love when bands are like that because you're like, damn, they were good, but they're going to be on this tour. And so you miss that one, but then they come right back around with an even better tour than the first one you went to go see that one. And it's like, yeah, this, this show is stacked. Dying Wish is cool. And I hate when bands go on tour. And I don't, it's not that I hate it, but they go on tour and sometimes they tour Europe like with some badass lineup and you're like, shit, fuck yeah. And then they like, then they don't come and they don't come over to where you're at for a while. And if they do, they're on some like mediocre tour. Dying Wish has kind of, they're not that point yet. They're on a stacked lineup like through and through and through. Every lineup they've been on has been stacked. Um, it's just what it is. And then we moved on, you know, Dying Wish, before I move on from Dying Wish, Dying Wish uh, plays the songs on their latest album, and they play it good. Uh, they play the opening intro, the very last song I know, and several in between. I don't know the names of their songs. I've listened to their album, like, probably, like, five times through. And what I was kind of, you know, not that I'd put it down, but there's a lot been a lot of music late as of late to listen to. 
But I kind of was like, well, I wanted to see them again. Like now that I know a little bit of the song, see, you know what I'm here, what I'm seeing. If what I'm hearing is the same as what I'm seeing, because when I seen them the first two times, I didn't know anything about them, just I'd heard. But now that I've listened to the album and then I've seen them again, I'm like, oh, okay, okay. You know, we've got something cooking here. Dying Wish is cooking. If you haven't had an opportunity to go see Dying Wish, I highly recommend it. Phenomenal band. Uh, moving on to Body Snatcher. Body Snatcher is just absolutely crazy aggressive. Um, and they've got songs for days. And I love Body Snatcher ever since I've seen them. A couple of years back with Chelsea Grin, Traders, and uh, Slaughter to Prevail. The one band I didn't see was Enterprise Earth. And they kind of have been like fading out a little bit, Enterprise Earth. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But Body Snatcher is good. Body Snatcher kind of reminds me of like Deathcore before it got popularized. Um, like they kind of remind me of Winds of Plague as well. Uh, and those are not bad things. Those are really good things. It's like, to me, the Body Snatcher should get more shine. Um, I, I love the, I love the style of music they play. And the voc the vocalist and the band has a lot of energy to them when they play. And to me, it's like, I, I really got to do deep dive on Body Snatcher and get familiar with their discography and everything. You just have to sit there and listen to it, you know, over and over. It's just it's just a repetitive game. My you know my time is finite, resources are finite. You know, boom, like shit is finite. Time is finite, but you know I should make more time to get to Body Snatcher. Uh, but overall, they played they played well. The one song I did know is Exterminate. Uh, phenomenal, they, and they played several songs that I do know from. Uh, their newest album. They play, They probably played about 10 songs. And I gotta say... All of those songs are mosh heavy. Um, I was told... A while back. Years ago. That a band cannot play... For an hour. And it just be... Pure mosh songs. Like... You can't do that. And I'm of the belief that when the band does play nothing but fight songs, that's when they're at their best. That's a show. When the crowd's got energy, the band's got energy, and there's just fucking riot in between. Uh, And this show was that. It was just a fucking riot from start to finish. Uh, and Body Snatcher embodies that as well. It's, they're a fucking riot musically. Um, I, I, I I like him myself. I mean, th- that's right up my fucking alley. Um, again, I wanted, I'm going to probably do another deep dive of a Body Snatcher again. I did a while back, but then it didn't come out for a while. And then, you know, just one of those bands, I'm like, oh, I kind of got into him a little bit. And then, you know, just it's just one of these things, you know, with COVID happening and so many funky ass. The music is in a funky place because 
there's a lot of that shit that it's like, oh, become of this uh, Ink and Iron Festival, this this sm- this Rolling Loud Festival, this smoking metal mess festival. There's this We Were Young festivals, and a lot of the stuff is going that way. It has been for a number of years, and it's now just coming to a head that those things are so prevalent now uh, that you get like 50 bands on a bill and they do like a full weekend thing to try to get you to come out the two or three days. They do that. I think these bands like it because it takes pressure off them to sell tickets. I mean, there's pressure to sell the shit out no matter what. But I think it's like, okay, well, instead of going on tour with bands A, B, and C, and you're the headliner, and you may or may not sell shows out, you may or may not um, get even 100 people to go, and you got to go to those shows, you got to play, and you got to sell merch, and, you know, I think a lot of bands, it takes pressure off of them to, to do touring like that. Where they go with, you know, let's say Kublai Khan and and counterparts and and a body snatcher, like they can go on a tour, but how many people are showing up to each gig and how many shows are being sold out? And you know, and I can see the bands being like, "Man, we did this tour and it fucking sucked. We had a good lineup, but like there were shows when like." 60 people went or shows where like 400 people went or shows where like like 100 people went like you know it's varying degrees of ticket sales and this and that so I so as it goes I kind of feel like the bands are moving more towards these big festivals where okay there's all your buddies anyways and you get these big lineup headlined by like System of a Down or Megadeth or I don't know Kill Switch Engage in stained and mud vein or something and it's like okay and then there's like the underneath bands could be like a day to remember you know pod like some of these acts corn you know that's how these like festival things are kind of shaping out now and then you got a bunch of bands that are like okay there might be three bands that you do like there are probably like 20 bands that you don't but that's the way it is um, but Body Snatcher, again, I want to do a deep dive And they just hadn't been out for a while You know, they're in rotation And, you know, I get kind of like Knock Loose was in rotation there for a minute And I was like, okay, Knock Loose Knock Loose is still the band Like, one of the top premier new bands now um, But I'll probably do another deep dive of Body Snatcher Because, I mean, they're, they're right up my alley, man And if you haven't seen Body Snatcher, I highly recommend it and taking a listen to music, especially with like the heavy shit. Uh, so there are two thumbs up. But moving right along, you know, we got Bleeding Through, the OGs. Um, been a while since I'd seen them too, a number of years. Uh, they, I, the last thing I seen them was with Hatebreed, as a matter of fact, in San Diego. I don't know when that show was, a while back. Uh, they had some roster changes. Um, not that crazy. The drummer's still the same. Marta's still the same. Brandy's still the same. Uh, homie that I think he does the bass is still the same. But the guitarist is not... The guy, the guitarist looks like Travis Barker now. 
but he could also be somebody else. I, mean, I don't know. He's, he's a newer guy, but you know, it's not again, not here nor there. Uh, they opened up very well with Revenge. I see they played actually a lot of songs that I mean, it's just no, every time they play for me is it's nostalgia, man. It's one of these things I'm like. Yes, like this it just takes me back to my heyday, my haymaker days, to my um, the days of old. You know, it just takes me um, back. Like okay, like and then you know, I just remember all the violent mosh pits I've been in. You know, bleeding through for me again. I can go back to when I first started podcasting. One of the top bands I think they resided in the top band They've kind of been bumped Relegated to less than the top band Currently uh, I think that kind of resides To the Acacia Strain Because of the longevity And their overall Their unwillingness to fail me um, But Haybreed has been since been elevated Because Haybreed kind of tapered off as well uh, my top bands of all time I mean Slipknot has also Fallen I mean they might have even fallen out of the top 10 I don't know I, I mean I just I Most Slipknot fans are clinging on to a Slipknot Slipknot Iowa in volume 3 And they, maybe even All Hope Is Gone Or whatever that album is I mean they're clinging We're really We're, we're you know We're uh, the Black Widow and Hawkeye were like, we're maybe Slipknot is just begging the people to let them go. Like, I don't know, but when we're hang, we're hang, they're hanging on by threads. I mean, it's what it is. But Hatebreed has was they probably were like in my like they were definitely in my top ten bands of all time ever. And this show is again another reason why I will always love Hatebreed. I will always have love for them. Um, and actually, I'm probably going to put Hatebreed above Slipknot. Slipknot's got a lot of, you know, glitz and glamour about them, the fame, the prime. They were this big, big band. But they have since fallen way off. Um, and they still maintain big level crowds. Cool. Uh, a lot of people love Slipknot. Cool. Um... To me, the Slipknot hasn't been good for a long time. Cool. Uh, Hatebreed, on the other hand, if you stack the bands up musically together, Hatebreed's got five straight-up albums of pure chaos. Uh, you know, Under the Knife, Satisfaction is the Death of Desire, Perseverance, Rise of Brutality, Supremacy. You can't touch... There's not a flaw in those first five albums. Not a fucking flaw. Um, bleeding through. You take out. If you take out, I mean, I don't even know if you can take it out because they have since re-merged those songs. I would, I want them to re-record, re-release it, break out some of this, um, uh, some of the, you know, the truth. Re- I think they should do. It. I want to know if I can get a hold of Brandon and redo it. Like, hey, just redo me, like, four songs on there that I feel, or maybe even five, that I feel got kind of chopped and screwed a certain way. 
uh, you know, uh, mixed a certain way, and let's remix it and do it the way it was intended. You know, for love and family, let's do tragedy through empty streets. Let's get killed to believe, done right. Let's do you know a song or two more, done right on there. You know, maybe Hollywood prison. You know, let's play that breakneck speed and with the fucking bass and guitars at max volume and the vocals gutterish. Let's redo that. Let's get Brandon to do that. Let's petition him to re-release some of those songs redone. Like, it's his fucking band. He can do it. I know, I know it must irk him that the way the album turned out uh, because he immediately was like, no, let's go back and do it the correct way on the next album. Declaration was a much better album. Uh, and it, it actually live, it probably plays much better than the truth does. Um, but bleeding through again, they've got, you know, Portrait of a Goddess, This is Love, This is Mercy, most of, some parts of the truth, Declaration, I mean, and beyond, like, they, they just don't fucking miss, do they? Some of those albums don't miss. Bleeding Through, Bleeding Through, the subtitle, I think. Well, that's actually a uh, declaration. I don't know why I was calling it declaration, but there's the other one beyond that um, with, the, with the Great Fire, and there's the one with uh, Goodbye to Death. I think I don't know the name of that album, but I just listened to it. Um, but again, like, Bleeding Through is the top notch. As I got cut up there, I was saying. Bleeding Through is a top-notch band, and uh, Love Will... I think it's Love Will Kill Us All. Is that the name of their album? Let's take a quick peek. Um, let's go through their discography real quick. Uh, Bleeding Through... It's Love Will Kill All, not Love Will Kill Us All. I guess the Bleeding Through is Declaration, but there is a Bleeding Through, Bleeding Through. Um, that I'm looking at it. There is a self-titled in there. And there is Declaration. So maybe I was right about Declaration. I, I get those albums mixed up, uh, but they both have jams. Again, I'm going to sit here and tell you, Bleeding Through is a top-notch metal, heavy, hardcore metalcore band. I don't know if the band sees themselves being as more of a hardcore band anymore. It's more they just fucking metalcore. I don't even know if they want a label. I don't feel as if they have a label. Because you can't really classify them as anything. Because there's hints of black metal. There's hints of death metal. There's hints of hardcore. There's hints of metal. There's fucking guitar solos. There's just... I, there's a straight up fist fight. And that's been like that since the band um, first hopped on the scene. And and I love that man to death, man. Um, the man has never... The band has never really betrayed me. Um, they did disappear for a couple number of years, and and I understand, you know, as I get older, I understand these things. People have kids; they fucking don't want to be fucking living in a van their whole life. They want a fucking apartment, a house. I do. I know that's the things that I aspire to get, achieve. I know, you know, people also just, you know, don't want to be fucking playing shows and not have a love for the music there. You know, especially when it becomes a business, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, okay, like, you know, you got to actually have the love for it because if there's no love for it, you know, and a lot of it has to do with money as well. 
fucking doing these raggedy ass tours again, like I said, and fucking 60 people show up. Um, you know, fuck that, right? Fuck all that. Um, you know, that takes the taste right out of your mouth. I understand if you're, you know, if, if I were to go and do a stand up comedy show and three people showed up and nobody was laughing, I'd like not, I mean, I could be like, you know what? Eventually I'll crack through. And like these podcasts, eventually I'll crack through. You know, I got nothing but time and energy to fucking put into it. But I kind of feel as if if you're in a band and you're trying to actually do it for a living and, you know, sometimes you got to step back and say to yourself, okay, like, what are we really doing here? Do we need an identity overhaul? And, and I kind of feel like maybe that happened to the band a little bit, but, you know, they took a break. You know, all those things aside, they took a break. People had lives to live and, you know, other music ideas. You know, I know the the bassist went and joined, uh, I think it was like the Torch or whatever band he was in, which is mildly successful uh, with Howard Jones. Um, you know, I think... Some of the other, some of them have married and uh and whatnot, and it's just like, you know, life happens. Life happens. So I don't know what's going on. I think Brandon still does the gym thing. Uh, so I mean, you know, you could pull back from that for a minute and just go on tour. But I mean, as long as it isn't consuming, you have to be again living in the van on tour on the road, fucking six months of the year never seen you know home sleeping in hotels and then people's fucking sleeping in the van i mean it takes a toll on your body and you know sometimes you got to recoup from that i get it i get it but the band overall doesn't really miss discography wise doesn't really miss um playing live they don't miss at all so i kind of you know, I know what to expect. Uh, it's not my first time seeing Bleeding Through. I don't know if anybody's there. Was her first time seeing Bleeding Through? Uh, well, actually, my girlfriend probably was her first time. But the band absolutely rocks and rips shit to shred. And they probably, again, they're probably my top three bands. I mean, I can't, I don't know. I can't think of much other bands outside of maybe the Acacia Strain. And perhaps Haybreed may have slighted in the fucking number two spot. I don't know. Um, but hey, hey uh, Bleeding Three don't miss and they're probably, they're probably, and I don't even, you know, don't even want to dog them and put them in second place because I, well now, now I've probably been to more Acacia Strain shows than Bleeding Through shows now as of today's date. But between both of those bands, they have consumed my entire, well, not even not my entire life, but from about 2000, the last 20 some odd years of my life. Perseverance is 25 years old. That has consumed my life for 25 years. Uh, that album is just straight up a fucking wild. Go- that that album's wild, but so has Bleeding Through. Bleeding Through has consumed my life since for about twenty five years as well. Like so, crazy. When I start thinking about it, it's a crazy 
long time. I, I think I still think back to that show where I first discovered Bleeding Through for myself was with Hate Breed, Bleeding Through Terror in Sinai Beach in the Hollywood at the Hollywood Palladium or something. And a, an amazing show. I wonder if they even remember that shit. 25 years ago, the motherfuckers were young. You got to figure, let's say they were at 18 years old, 25. And I was younger. I was in high school. Um, They're like 43. All them motherfuckers in their 40s. I'm in my later 30s. So, I mean, it's just what it is, man. Uh, yeah, it's it just a long time. But yeah, Bleeding Through has remained. But over that time, I got into the Acacia strain. Uh, not long after that, and they've dominated my life. And actually, the Acacia strain did dip out a little bit, maybe like two years there. But then they came roaring right back. I mean, the Acacia strain, was, you know, the lineup changes for them all the time. Um, but the Acacia strain... And I really would love to sit down and talk to both of those dudes individually and tell them, like, hey, I went to this tour, that tour. I just want to ask questions about the albums. Now that I've listened to them hundreds of times each, like, hey, you know, this, it, what's the band's direction? Uh, you know, what is ultimately where, what is the thing that will put you out of doing concerts, tours, and making an album? I mean, what would it be? Is it, Would it be, like, a death in the family or, you know, is it something you're willing to continue until you're fucking 60, another 20 years? Is that a possibility? I mean, the end is always near for any band. The end is always near for any given thing any at any given time. But, you know, uh, until, the, until it's the end, it's never the end. Um, you know, you got to treat it as like, what it is like hey i gotta see bleeding through one more time who knows i mean i could wake up tomorrow to the news that brandon the lead singer of bleeding through and the owner of his gym passed away in a car accident somewhere in i don't know texas or or maybe he goes to jail i mean who knows and you know and that would in effect might be the end of the band um but I, they still probably remain even today, and even over the next twenty years, if they stop at a dead stop, they probably would remain as one of my top bands. And again, they played an amazing show at House of Blues, uh, Revenge I Seek, Sister Charlatan Rise, uh, for Love and Failing, uh, Declaration the Song itself. Um, Love Lost in Hell of Gunfire. You know, I think it's No Friends. Uh, they play, you know, I would. I, I, there's some, I want them to, if it was up to me, I'd have them play a different line, different set. But every set they play is just wild. And, you know, every, it's a treat. Like, I want them to bring back Super Vampires, get rid of, like, um, some other songs and give, bring me back Sweet Vampires and give me back number seven with the bullet. Um, Wake of Orion. I kind of was thinking, I was like, man, I would love to hear those songs again. Um, what, what would it take to hear Savior Saint Salvation one more time? 
But, I mean, they're, they're beyond those. I mean, they were, there was, like, tied into the band a while back, and now they're beyond it, I think. I don't, I mean, I would love to hear those songs again, but I've heard those songs 20 times live in the olden days. I mean, I don't got no, again, no regrets there. Uh, bleeding through rocks. Uh, I still came mosh, so I got I got into there. Uh, a little slippery, which pissed me off, but uh, no big deal. Beyond that, uh, they're two thumbs up. They they rock. It's phenomenal. Uh, moving on to Haybreed uh, again. I've been talking a little bit about Haybreed and bleeding through some of my bands that I've. Love, I've loved Hatebreed since Tattoo the Earth, man. I, I have that shirt sitting in my garage somewhere. I've got the memory seared into my head. I remember Tattoo the Earth so well, Slip not giving them a chance to play the little festival in San Bernardino. Ever since then, I've been a fan. Uh, it's been a long time. That was in like '99. Um, just an amazing. 99, I, I can't even really tell you guys, like, 25 years of supremacy. Or maybe it was 20 years of, uh, of 25 years of perseverance. It's about right, because um, that shit came out, like, well, yeah, 2001. Maybe it was 20 years of perseverance. Um but I've been a fan for a little bit longer than that. About 25 years they've dominated my life. And only a, briefly after Supremacy did I not catch up with them. I know they did that album where it was like nothing but covers. Uh, I have since got back into them a little bit. Especially with their one of their latest, latest releases. Um, let's see. Hey, Breathe. Uh, what is the album that... Way to Fall Self is really good. I love that. The album is good. The Concrete Confessional, uh, I did like. The Divinity Purpose, I did like. Um, not my favorites, but I did like them. Is it Way to Fall Self? Yeah, Way to Fall Self is, a, I think, their last album. And, I, and that one, I think, is their... Finally got the juice back to what I believe is really good Haybreed music. Um, there was a little bit of overproduction, I believe, in the, the albums before that. Again, um, probably the Concrete Confessionals a little bit, and maybe the Divinity of Purpose. Um, and then there's also For the Lions. Uh, I think that's the one... For the Lines is a cover. You know. You know, but the, again, I mentioned it earlier. They have like five straight up albums that are just fucking straight fight. Uh, and they don't really miss either. I, I, like, I've been listening to them for years and I know they kind of... I guess you could say to me, they tried and I think... Jamie's probably a victim of this. He tried a lot of different things. Again, covers. I think there's a splashing of clean vocals in there somewhere. Uh, they went a little bit more metal on some of the albums. They kind of brought back like 
they brought up the production level and sometimes that does a bad di- a disservice when it just sounds like a overproduced turd like I know there's albums like in bands that do that and I'm like why did they do that but I, the way to fall self I listen to I listened to that one at least 15 20 times through when I was working out and I had that that was 2020, so when that came out, I listened to it, and I was like, wow, this is really good workout music. And not only that, the album rocks. And so I listened to it a lot. And and I can for sure say that, to me, that was probably the best that I've heard from them in a minute. Uh, and they got back to doing some things that I think has actually brought me back to oh this is old Habri but they got uh they've got they've learned the lessons of certain albums um of like maybe and they probably they toned down the production just a notch and I think that's a good groove for them uh the way that album sounds it de- definitely is a good groove um they opened up with to the threshold uh, I hadn't heard that song it's not my favorite song on the album I mean I think everybody's songs on that album differ on supremacy um as die hard as it come remains one of the best songs that they've ever written and that and that reminds me a lot of like old hebrew like that song is like fucking one minute long play live maybe a minute and 10 seconds even though the song is like two minutes on the album but um again but to the threshold uh uh Give Wings to My Tribe. Did they play Give Wings to My Tribe? They play... Uh, Hebrew plays a million songs, but... Um, they opened with To The Threshold. I hadn't heard that song in a long time live, let alone just heard it uh, at all. Like, I, it's not one song I just... Like, oh, I want to listen to To The Threshold. And I actually listened to it twice since just thinking about it. Like, you know, like, wow, that just takes me back to playing, like, I think Halo 3... Or Halo Reach, one of them fucking games like Supremacy just dropped. You know, guy, you know Jessica. Can't, you know, sometimes just thinking about it just brings back so many memories. Um, and then they play it a lot off of Perseverance. They play Perseverance's song itself. Uh, that song never gets old. Perseverance is one of the best Hatebreed songs ever made. Uh, it's not my favorite song by them at all, but it is definitely a top five Haybreed song, maybe ever. Everything from the opening drum roll to the breakdown, like the two big breakdowns in it, to the heavy mosh parts all along that song. I mean, Perseverance is just a wild song. You know, a band has no business making songs that crazy. But Haybreed's got fucking like 20. They got they got like 30 songs that are just absolutely wild. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when they were somehow making that song. Making Doomsayer. Making Proven. Making... Uh, Driven by something, making some of these songs are just absolutely a call for blood. Like some of these songs, you know, are just absolutely wild, straight to your face. Um, 
absolutely just fucking wild, man. It's a, would it, again, I would have loved to just go back in time and just seen like, you know, just been around like how the fuck they come up with these songs, man. And they, and it's so like Perseverance, the song itself, and Perseverance, the album itself, is so. So that happened pre nine eleven. I know it came out before that because I know when nine eleven hit, there was that kind of thing that Habri came out was playing these very uplifting metal songs, but also very violent. But very like, like a call for blood is a very violent song. Not had nothing to do with nine eleven, but you could see nine eleven happening, and then they playing a call for blood. Uh, you know, a call for blood for what you done. No tolerance for what you done. No fucking tolerance, like. If that's not there was that then not the American mindset post nine eleven, um, and we want to rubber out for blood, and so it kind of clicked, and that band, you know, skyrocketed, even beyond what I had known them, they had skyrocketed, and now they're a household metal name, hardcore name, and just but still some of those songs are written and like goddamn. Wild, um, just wild. The Haybreed is a wild band, never fails live, never fails live. They never fail me. Uh, again, and I, I go back to like, um, the last podcast I was talking about. Some bands will fail you, Slipknot has failed, and I'm and I'm on, I'm in an okay spot to say this. They have failed. They could redeem themselves. They could come out, really say, you know what, guys? The band members could say, we're out of this contract. We want to make uh, a six-song EP. But we want it to be old Slipknot sounding, and we want it to be this. And we want to show the fans that, okay, we've heard the, the grumbling. And they could redeem themselves. They could come out with the craziest 10-song album that you've ever heard. But they have progressively been trending downwards. And I kind of fig- find like it's okay to say that they're failing. I, I know people you know, might jump on you saying, um, bro, Simnon is crazy. Like they're good. Why would you ever say that about Simnon? I can say it. Uh, and I think most of the people in the metal community that listen to it will say it. Maybe not to their faces, but I, I would tell Corey Taylor straight up to his face, hey, man. That shit you're fucking putting on and declaring it an album is fucking terrible. I've listened to the last two or three albums and it's unfucking recognizable and you need to cut your shit. And you can get mad all you want, but you're fucking destroying the Slipknot name. The Slipknot name is in the gutter. It has no business being even associated with top metal acts. Um... And they probably fucking laugh at me and be like, well, this motherfucker doesn't know what he's talking about. But again, if you're a young kid and you're hearing Travis Scott and you're hearing Drake blast on the radio and he's, uh, you know, 21 Savage motherfuckers and these Gucci gang motherfuckers out there just fucking making music for the masses and people are into it. And you show up as a metalhead, like, you don't like that shit. You're not part of the in crowd. You're just, you're a little, you're always born a little bit different, you know. And you fucking are, have your choices are new Slipknot 
fucking some system of a noun that's very old. Um, and that's the you know that doesn't how it just doesn't how and slip, you know. You can't really put that out there like that's the music you like. Nobody thinks it's fucking good anymore. Nobody thinks it's cool. It's not hot. It's not hip. It's not. It's just not it. It's not fucking it. It's not. I mean, if you like System of a Down, more power to you. Um, I, I, I and I like System of a Down, but this not. They're not in. They're not. They're not the hot item anymore. They're just they're just not. Slipknot is not in, and they're not hot anymore either. And then if you fucking even put on that sad ass shit that Slipknot put out recently, um, it's fucking terrible. You know, but you could put on the weight of false self and that shit be like, wow, hey, this is a really good starting point for you. You could put on a Hebrew shirt or, you know, the mother, only mother, the hardest, the die hardest is motherfuckers are there. You know, you can put on a Lorna Shore shirt and motherfuckers will know straight up you're hard. They just know it. Your motherfucker will know it. You can put on a Habri. You can put on a bleeding through shirt and be like, "Yeah, this shit is hard." Habri goes, uh, Habri and bleeding through. Lorna Shore, knock loose, go fucking. They go ape shit. They go hard. You can put that on and scare a motherfucker. You're not gonna put on that Slipknot shit and it not move a motherfucker. Be like, "Wow, you know, we can bully you." Actually, you can be bullied now for wearing Slipknot shirt because that shit is pathetic. Um. But hate breed is not there, and hate breed is still going and pushing the envelope. And my my hat goes off to them um, infinitely, because again, they that's probably why they remain one of my top bands. But I always will go back and listen to. I, I love hate breed's music. Tickles my bones and my bodies. It just does. They just do it for me, you know. It just that that that's how I grew up living life, and that's just what it is. It's just one of these things where I kind of feel like I'll never not be unsatisfied with a live performance by Hebreed, and I can't say the same for Slipknot because they're relegated to playing like songs off of certain albums, and then after that, I don't really fuck with the new shit. Like I really don't fuck with Psychosocial. That's another bullshit. Um, I really don't fuck with All Hope Is Gone. I really don't. And I kind of feel like, you know, they've lost it since. And Hatebreed hasn't. Again, I don't want to turn this into a dog, a slipknot, but I, I you know. The fact that Hatebreed came out to Anaheim, California, I hadn't seen them in a number of a while. Warp Tour, San Diego. Maybe Warp Tour is the last time I have seen Haybreed. Um, Pre-COVID. The final farewell of Warp Tour, you know, tour. And then they rocked it there, but they only played like 25 minutes. So their short was infinitely small. This one they played for a good 45 minutes. And they probably paid 35 songs. Cause that's how that's what you get out of a breed. You get these fucking songs that take like through that are two and a half minutes on the album, and you condense it down to like a minute and a half in actual time. Um, again, a lot of stuff off of 
Satisfaction of Death is Desire, but I did listen to like that whole album in its entirety back in San Diego. When I think that album was 20 years old, a couple years back. Um, and I heard a lot of perseverance on that one. The one song I, I kind of wanted to hear is Driven by Suffering. Again, I've li- I've heard that song now like 20, 20 times live and uh, Every Time is a Treat. Uh, it's probably my favorite Hatebreed song of all time. Um, Driven by Suffering it just holds a special place in my heart. Don't know why. It was it's everything I've ever wanted in a, in a metal song. Um, just speaks volumes to me. Just, you know, just speaks volumes to my life. Um, it's just one of these things, man. I mean, you know, but I also wanted to hear. I was like, man, man, we'll hear Unloved. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs that Hate Brings ever made on Perseverance, the album. But I think that's a song that nobody does know. That they skipped that song. And that song is just a wild fight in and of itself in that song. Uh, I heard Final Prayer for the first time. In, not the first time. But I've heard it for the first time in a very long time. I haven't heard it since back in the days when Perseverance first dropped. Also, Call for Blood is not a song that they play often. Um, and an amazing, amazing song. So, um, the band's amazing. Hatebreed is amazing. And I want to say this before I cut this off and we do some um, reviews of some things. But I want to say that Hatebreed called out Throwdown to get them lazy motherfuckers off the couch and get on tour. I have since been bullying bullying Throwdown on Twitter. And I already forewarned them that I might take my talents to TikTok and, uh, and get their fucking asses. That That's a band that I've been waiting patiently over the last four, five, six years now, once I kind of felt like I was nearing Mosh retirement before COVID actually hit and put that on pause. Throwdown, uh, I'm on, I'm going to be on Throwdown's neck uh, for the next year or two until they strike it up and make it happen. I will be on Throwdown's fucking neck I'll be at the jugular getting this shit to happen. Um, and especially if they can give me, if you can give me Haybreed Throwdown and like Kublikon or some shit, the Acacia Strain, I will fucking spend like $200 for a ticket. I don't give a fuck. Throwdown is another one of those bands that's, you know, they're there. And I mean, Top 10 bands of all them. Throwdown got to be up there too. I've seen, I've only seen Throwdown like 30 times. Let's get it going, Dave Peters. Uh, fucking Throwdown. Um, would love to, I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen. If it's going to take me two or three years to do it, if I'm going to be fucking 45 before it happens, I'm going to get it done. I will get it done. I am taking it upon myself, a man from Fontana, California, with fucking his will and his fucking internet fucking non-powered it's up to me to get it done because I don't think anybody else is fucking pushing the envelope but me at this point uh, I think Throwdown has been relegated to just a band that's just out there that people forgot about uh, It's up, and it's up to me to bring them back I'm going to take it, the challenge personally and 
I will uh, not stop. I've been bullying them for a while now on Twitter uh, since Jamie Jester. I told them it's time to stop shredding cheese and start shredding riffs. And stop. It's time to stop putting down, putting up the Christmas lights and stop and start breaking downs. They need to get it done. Uh, they need to happen. The glass House is right there. House of Blues is right there. Team up with Haybreed. Sell that motherfucker out. Come and do a little. You know, again, I know they got their lives. I don't think he's got any desire to fucking play shows. But they can do a little mini uh, five-run West Coast, you know, run. They can do, you know, San Diego. They can do OC. They can do uh, NorCal. They can do Seattle and maybe even, like, uh, Arizona Day. And then just dip out. They can get it done. Get it the fuck done. Get your shit together, Throwdown. I'm coming for you. And with that said, I will... Uh, pauses here. We're going to come back and talk handmaids and Andor. So hang tight. Alright, so let's tear right into it. Let's wrap up, which I didn't know I could have wrapped up already, was The Handmaid's Tales. Um, I think it was season 5 already. And while I don't want to grade it bad, I'm not going to grade it good either. Uh, I thought it was a little bit too much filler for my taste. Uh, and again, I don't know why the shows do that. Maybe they go for broke on the first season, first season or two. And then after that, they're like, wow, we want to build up. Now that we got people's attention, they're trying to, like the same thing happened with the 13 Reasons Why. Like the first season was lit. Second season was lit up until the end where the guy never shot anybody. Then after that, I was like, nah, they could have. He should have shot everybody. They should have went for broke. And season three should have started off with who's left alive and who survived just like you would have in America. Should have done it. But uh, they didn't do it. If somebody was honking at me for, I don't know, he was being an asshole. But much as I kind of feel that Handmaid Tales has gone this way a little bit. Where the first season, I was like, oh, wow, like, there is some mad fuckery in this. Like, truly mind-boggling fuckery. Season two elaborated on that mind-boggling fuckery, and I think even up to season three. Season four was, you know, was good. It wasn't as good as the first three. And season five was just not on par with the first, like, couple of seasons either. The season felt more like... And they, again, they're holding the punches back on Serena, which I kind of felt deserved some great punishment. But I kind of feel like the director is saving her. They want to keep her, her character alive. She can have some sort of redemption arc. She don't deserve it. Aunt Lydia deserves some sort of redemption, too. She don't deserve it. Tired of the fucking eye patch, bitch. Um, already, she don't deserve it either. Uh Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of things. And I kind of felt already June Osborne was going to already die. And again, they keep... They, they're trying, she's trying to get her daughter back. I mean, she should have... I don't know, man. She should have done... A, they should have made her story a lot more. And I get that they're trying to stretch the story out. It's a good series, but this one was a little lackluster. I'm going to have to only rate it like 
six and a half out of a ten. Not because of anything that he did, just I think they're they're holding back the punches. There's not as crazy, like they cut off the one girl's clay in one of the fucking episodes, like in season five. They took out, uh, I can't think of her name's I. Did June? What was the other one? I don't know her name, the redhead chick. They cut her eye out, like, the very first couple of episodes in. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, it's hardcore. They showed hardcore sex scenes that, you know, I don't even know if I can say on this app. Uh, between Fred, Waterford, Serena, and June Osborne. Like, you guys remember that dandy of a scene that was hard to watch? Um, there was a lot of hard to watch scenes in, in the first couple is it's nothing like that anymore last two seasons have been far removed from that um so i think the, the quality of it has gone down and then and this season five was a lot of talking a lot of like they to me they turn try to turn heel and get a little bit more uh like the politics behind it and not necessarily like oh they're parroting uh, what we see in real life, but I'm just like, okay, homie wants to get her back because he feels like he's in, tr- he's trying to change Gilead. June wants to get her, her daughter back, Hannah back. Serena is looking for a route to go. She don't got a leg to stand on in any which way. Um, and I just kind of feel like there's a lot of like going in circles between them, you know, so I don't really feel as if there's just a lot of talking, a lot of piece of movie. I don't really feel that this is was great. I mean, there was no there was no scene in the in the series. There was no part or two where it made me say, "Oh fuck!" Like nobody they, they killed the one guy. Uh, the girl tried to poison herself and the other girl, and they both lived. So what kind of poison was it? I mean. And Gilead still remains. Um, they try to attack Gilead, and the attack went down fast. And like, I don't know, they, they just didn't wasn't that great. Um, it's not that good. I, I mean, I'm a, I had to knock at a couple of points for being filler, so you probably went from like probably would have been like an eight series down to like a seven and then just the other part of it to me is they're pulling their punches on a lot so they've got to drag it down a little bit and again once again it ended to me it ended uh kind of poorly like june and serena are all of a sudden besties again like uh, the director and the story, the script of it is just really not being good written right now. Like, if a, a moment would have been if June would have shot Serena pregnant, that would have been a hardcore scene. You know, if, they, if the season would have ended there, where like Serena and June meet up. And June, pull, June pulls the gun out on Serena, and Serena's like bad mouthing her, and then to shoot not only Serena but to shoot like the womb. That would have been 
mind-boggling. I would have that would have taken them from like a six and a half, six point seven five out of a ten, all the way to like a nine. Like it would have taken three seconds to for this to be one of the craziest seasons ever. But again, they pulled their punches. Serena had June on the ground in front of a gun, and, and but I knew because it was already like season episode five or six or whatever. I was like, yeah, then he, she's not gonna shoot June. Let alone uh, we can even get June shooting uh, Serena. I just knew that. I mean, this is some of the things that the director. I mean, obviously, The Handmaid's Tale has become more pro women, pro um, like the women empowerment movement, and I understand that. Uh, this is a female driven cast in the story the, the show is good i just feel that they pull they've been pulling their punches um and doing a little bit more talking they didn't need to do all that um so it i'm grading it low i'm grading it under a seven because i felt like this season didn't even really need to exist like what did they do serena had her baby and now June and her husband are separated. Um, but literally, that's about all that happened. Like nothing. The guy is setting up New Gilead or whatever he's setting up. Like, and Nick is like, he's a traitor. I mean, I don't know. Like, there was just a lot of bullshit parts um, that they could have sped up, not talked about, or just not. And I hate, I hate when shows do that. Like, they pull their punches. They don't keep the fuckery up. The Walking Dead had this problem, too. The Walking Dead, when they stopped killing people, and they start, started letting people live full term, like, that's when it kind of sucked. And then they just started, well, they went just too out of bounds with it. And I've kind of feel, like, I'm hoping, I'm going to watch season six. I'm hoping that The Handmaid Tales makes a full 180, and they bring me back. Uh, some of the ultimate fuckery. Uh, that guy, the Canadian guy, Trudeau, or whatever his name is, Tuello, uh, he's a fucking non-existent to me. The, the people that were taking care of Serena that basically wanted to take her kid from her, uh, yeah, that's another thing that, like, that one girl was trying too hard to be, like, a mini Serena, and, Again, they could have done without a lot of that had it been like... And I think once Serena was over there showcasing uh, June's daughter in front of the world so that June could see it, her her death sentence was right there. Uh, she June should have shot a pregnant Serena. They missed a golden opportunity to really light the internet aflame uh, with one of the what could have been potentially one of the craziest scenes in all of, um, you know, film or the silver screen history. Again, they pulled their punches. Uh, they, they wrote, they wrote in a, a great arc that now June and Serena are like some sort of, they got a lot in common. Uh, it's two sides of the coin, but they're the same coin type of deal. And, you know, the rivalry between them, like, rages on, and maybe they're going to become sisters. I don't know what the fuck 
somebody should have gone in there and said, look, this is Serena's fate. We're going to leave the ultimate clip there. We're going to have June pop up like three rounds, one hitting you in like the lung heart area, one hitting you in like the midsection, and one hitting you right in the belly. And that's where the season should have ended. It should have ended with June fucking firing off slugs and everybody stopping there and being like, oh, my God. And that's where it should, the season should have ended. And maybe next season, maybe Serena dies, has a baby, and then June has to take care of it. Or maybe uh, the baby dies, but Serena lives and just watch her descent into chaos, into madness. Uh, maybe they both died. And June once again becomes this sort of this outlaw um, bandit or something. I mean, that they could have gone a lot of different ways there, into leading into a season six. And that would have been fascinating to see that. Like, and I could just, I could just see the social media, you know, Twitters and, and Instagram, and you know, talking about it on TikTok. I could just see that the you would have said the, the conversation would have been all over the place. Um. Because obviously abortion is a big topic now, and I think I just think the writers, producers, they all missed, uh, they just missed the mark badly on this season. Uh, and I, although I'm dogging it really bad, I mean it's still kind of a good. It was an it was an okay watch. I just felt like nothing really happened. So again, I have to rate I have to rate it really low. Uh, I, I, I under a seven because a seven would have been to me good. You know, maybe the acting was bad, but that, all the acting and stuff is there. Just, it was kind of like, uh, it was kind of a forgettable season. And, like, nothing happened. And I, and I, and I, and I understand it. I understand it. Like, this are hit trailer, baby. They have these really strong characters. They don't want to just give them up. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I mean, again, The Walking Dead have plenty of chances to do some crazy stuff. And they, you know, the ratings show, like, every year they were going down. I kind of feel like now Handmaid's going to be going down. Because uh, I don't really know where they go at season six. Like, what's the point? They're, they're going to go and not ever get back into Gilead. or I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but that's that. I mean, overall, it was an okay. It was just very, very okay. A very, very okay uh, season for them. And then they've had some magical seasons in the past. Like, I'd probably rate season one. I'd have to go back like eight and a half, maybe even a nine for being so crazy. Season two being just up there with it. Um, but that's sad. You know, so, but if you did like The Handmaid's Tales, I mean, season five, more power to you. Just was a little slow and a little lackluster. Uh, moving on, let's talk about Andor. Finally, I think I finally watched the last episode. Uh, Andor is a phenomenal uh, series. It, it's ve- it's a very different take on the Star Wars realm. Uh, even though the main antagonist, the main villain of the story is basically the Empire. And now they're ruling. And what life is like living under a very oppressive regime. Um, I still think the Empire is cool as fuck. Uh, being part of the resistance as well. I mean, you get 
you get the double. That's probably what makes Star Wars so cool. Is that it's fucking cool. You see, you see the stormtroopers like you seen um the I can't think of the name right now. They're all shiny ones. I don't know which episode. That was a cool stormtrooper. You see the stormtroopers all decked out. Uh, Darth Vader has the badass fucking cloak and the mask. Um, Darth Maul was cool as fuck. He was cool as fuck looking. You know, Anakin Skywalker's descent into madness before he got charred up. He was cool as fuck. Uh, the dark side is cool as fuck. I mean, the Empire. The first galactic empire is is just balls out the Death Stars. The Death Star is a crazy name. You know, George Lucas, yeah, tip your cap to the man. He's very creative. He made the Empire. Like, I want to join the Empire. I would love to have been fucking on one of those battle uh, ships. I would have loved to have been fired. That's just so crazy, firing off the Death Star, too. Like, destroying fucking life on a scale unhitherto dreamt of. Like, like, some of that shit that they do is cool, like, it's cool as fuck, the TIE Fighters, uh, cool as fuck looking too, like, that's what I kind of think, um, you know, it's kind of what I think space would look like, it's fucking cool as fuck, uh, even Kylo Ren, you know, and that whole, Snoke, like, all of that shit is cool, cool as fuck. But it's also cool as fuck, like, thinking, damn, like, how do you take down the fucking monster, like, chip away at it slowly. These, and that's what kind of where Andor resides. The rebellion is not set up. The, they are not uh, formed yet. The, the rebels are not yet organized. This is pre-rebel days. This is like... Like, Saul Guerrero is just an outlier. He never wanted nothing to do with the Empire, but he don't want no part of fucking the Rebellion either. They're kind of just, like, space gangsters out there. And, you know, Christian Andor has just got a knack for stealing shit. And they use they need his help. You know, a lot of double-crossing. You know, it just, it, it's just a fascinating aspect of the story, like, what, that you don't really... That you haven't seen in uh, the Star Wars franchise yeah this, this is a great um, a great um, side of it it's a great a great a very great side of backstory leading up to if you watched Rogue One Rogue One to me is one of my favorite Star Wars because you get to see how close the rebellion came to failing how close the Empire came to just wiping them out, uh, and it all hung on just the smallest bit of fucking luck, one way or the other, you know, that's just like how football is, like, you know, one lucky catch, tiptoed inbounds, changes, you know, the game, like, you look at, uh, just watch the highlights, you know, uh, the Tyree helmet catch against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, um, that catch essentially was the game winner for the New York Giants beating an undefeated um, Patriot team. Like, that's just what it is. Like, and you got to think, Rogue One kind of felt that you felt that in the 
like the the rebellion was trying to get this information. They, there was a flaw built into the Death Star. They and they and they da- and Darth Vader damn near stopped all of that, you know. And that and that scene is one of the hardest hardest scenes ever in film history. That I mean that minute or two of video is bar none one of my favorites of all time. Um, they don't know what they're looking at, and Vader fucking lights up his saber and fucking ensues to kill everybody. Like, that's one of the craziest scenes. As a matter of fact, Rogue One is probably one of the best Star Wars films. Uh, it's probably up there. It's probably like, if it's not in the top two, if it's not the top film, it's top, it's two. Um, just because they showed a side of Star Wars that you hadn't seen before, and also the implications of everything, and how the Rebellion got their hands on that knowledge of there being a flaw in the Death Star. And this is a, this touches back on it, and they give you a whole series of it, uh, 12 episodes or 13 episodes, whatever it was. Uh, the actor that plays Chrissy and Andor, I know him from uh, Narcos, Mexico. Uh, and he he does a phenomenal job, and he, and you could and it's Star Wars, it's space, it's everything you wanted in that shit. And I, and I gotta give Andor, I gotta rate it high. I'm gonna give it a nine, uh, because I I thoroughly believe that this was probably one of their best, uh, even more so than the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, while it it is Star Wars esque, and while it is, I mean, it's kind of. The Mandalorian has just been all over the spa- all over space and just kind of showing you different a different character of Star Wars, but he's not really my main has nothing to do with the main part of the story. Um, and then they introduced Grogu. Grogu kind of took up a, a lot of storm, but this Andor character and his story is wild. Um, I, the only one regret I do have uh, um, that they didn't touch back on his childhood. They kind of showed a little bit of his childhood in the beginning. Uh, they never got back to him finding his sister. So I don't know if that's going to be a big thing for him going forward. But um, there was plenty of deaths in there, plenty of crisscrossing. There was a lot of, you know, I love that they brought back uh, Forrest Whitaker for, you know, an episode or two, whatever he was in. I, I loved all of that. A lot of that, and that, a lot of that just back on Rogue One, I, it would kind of, I hope they do a season two or maybe even a season three out of it. Um, Star Wars can fill up a lot of stuff, and 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 this one had plenty of action. It had plenty of twists and turns. It was it was everything that you wanted out of Star Wars. And he broke out of jail and prison and all that. Um, and it kind of to me it was really good. So was, you got to see a different shade of you know. Star Wars that you hadn't really seen before, and it was a great, a great story, um, truly well done. Again, I'd probably give it a nine. It was just some of the just some things I would touch back on. I would have loved to seen, uh, you know, some of the Star Wars characters just possibly be there, making cameos, and then dip out. Maybe nothing even said, you know, like a young uh, Solo. You know, he obviously who's around would have been to see him bump into uh, and or something, but, you know, maybe they just bump into each other and keep pushing uh, ass some stuff like that. But that would have been a 10 if he would have fucking walked across uh, a young Obi-Wan that was perhaps even before 
Um, or maybe, you know, maybe you can't bump an Obi-Wan because that's, the Empire's already in place. But maybe a, a young Mace Windu. You know, just have some guys like, yeah, my name is Windu. Pleasure to meet you. You know, just leave after that. Uh, but they didn't really need any of that. The, the story was pretty much well. You know, they keep talking about the Emperor and the Empire and the overreach. And a lot about um, privacy and it was they were going over money and stuff. And obviously... Uh, that that's the case with any fucking overreaching tyrannical government. Uh, essentially, it's the overreach of any government. Every government overreaches. This is the degree in which they overreach. Because uh, right now, I can make a podcast and I can say, fuck the United States government. And they probably don't get two shits about me. But if I'm living in Iraq or living in fucking Russia or I'm living in, you know, Dubai or something, then I say, fuck Putin or fuck... Um, whoever the president of Iraq is, fuck them. I mean, they probably come and behead me. It's a very varying degree of overreach. The United States, and the, and the th- problem is the United States probably heard me say that into this microphone and put it in a little ticker in a little ticker tape that somebody said fuck in the United States government and this and that, and they probably already monitored me, but they're not going to come and uh, arrest me and then cut my tongue out and make me work for 12 years in some prison camp type of deal. That's just not what they're going to do. Uh, but they they are just as overreaching as anybody else if they so choose to be. And, and it was kind of it's kind of interesting watching Star Wars kind of yeah, the Empire is really overreaching, really invading people's privacy. Uh, tracking their movements. But but in the name of security and safety is really really fascinating story. Um and it just it just played out really well. I, I tip of the cap, great season. I was pretty much into every episode. No real fillers. A lot of space shit going on. Phenomenal. Uh, and with that said, guys, I would say I'm gonna watch Wednesday. Uh, I did. Um, what else was I watching? I wrapped up a lot of stuff that I was watching. I gotta finish watching Fate. The Wing Saga, I got to finish watching um, Barbarian Season 2. Um, there's a lot of stuff I got to finish watching, and, and I will. Uh, but with that said, guys, hang on tight. I'll get this posted up here shortly, and uh, we'll move on to the next one. Laters.